Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. Welcome back, everybody, to the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I have another really awesome guest with me today. This is Joe Conley. He's the Irishman from New Jersey. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm doing awesome. Thank you uh, for that. That's going to be my new nickname, I think. The Irishman from New Jersey. But I got to talking to Joe a little bit. We have actually just met. We connected. Um, we connected online. And Joe is now hosting two podcasts, right? Two that's right. I have uh, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, deprogramming podcast YouTube channel, and I also have uh, the Brutally Sober podcast, which is on uh, Anchor FM and Spotify and wherever else you want to find the podcast. That's so awesome. So, what inspired you to start this? What? Tell me your story. The podcast. Anything you want. What inspired me to do the podcast was nothing. I was. It was another sober Friday night. And I saw this advertisement on the on my phone and I'm like, oh, I can do a podcast for free. All right. Let me see what this is all about. And then it turned into. Well, the first episode I deleted because it was me just like making fun of my wife and my wife making fun of me while we're recording. But after that, sounds um, like marriage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So but after that, I realized, well, you know, maybe this is this is kind of cool. I can just share my story and vent about stupid things. Um, on the podcast, I kind of play uh, a character of like an old curmudgeon that is a part of who I am um, and part of not of who I am. I kind of try and, you know, put some humor into it. Um, and I like to talk a lot of shit about AA because I have a love hate relationship with AA. So let's go um, into that because I had another guest on the podcast that also was talking about um, AA and I actually don't go to AA. So I'm not, I am not working the 12 steps. Um, I, I, I think that whatever works for you is the way that you should go about it. But you and I got to talking briefly about it, uh, before we started recording the podcast and you were talking about your experiences with AA very early on in your sobriety. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I first went into AA when I was like, I'm 40 right now. I just turned 40 and my gray, my beard didn't just immediately turn gray the day after I hit 40. I thought that was going to happen. So that didn't happen. I first went into a, when I was like 22, 23 or something like that. And, um, I went in because like I was, I was drinking a lot and I kind of, I came home and I was trying to have dinner with my family and I was completely shit faced. 
And it was just like no way around trying to convince anyone that I was sober. And so I was just like, dad, I, I brought my dad outside. I was like, I, I think I have a problem. My dad's been sober for like 35 years. He's like, all right, well, let's, let's go to a meeting. So we went to a meeting and then I hit meeting like every day for like a year and I did it for a year. And then, and then I just kind of started, I did wasn't working the steps. I didn't get a sponsor. I would just go in a meeting every single day. And then I just, I wasn't clicking with anyone. I wasn't vibing with anyone. Um, people were telling me things I didn't want to hear. A lot of these things that they were telling me were probably good, but some of the things they were telling me was like, um, you know, only one in uh, 10 people make it. If you go back out, you're going to die. This and that. I'm like, I would come home from work. I was still living in my parents' house. I would come in the door with my suitcase, which was a 12 pack of beer. And then I would go in the basement and just, just drink that every night. When I was going to meetings in my twenties at, at some point, I would just, I was at, I remember the meeting I was at, it was in a basement, obviously. And it was a, it was an anniversary meeting and the guy made a joke and I just looked around the room, the whole room. I did a 180 scan and everyone was laughing like and having a great time. And it was like, I was the only one, like not in the joke. Like I just, I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling, I wasn't connecting with anyone. And like, I just felt so alone with all these people in there. I was like, this isn't for me. And I also wasn't ready to stop drinking too. So that had, I'm sure a lot to do with it, but at the same time, I have trouble connecting with people um, at the same time. So like a part of me is, is a curmudgeon and a part of me is someone that wants to say hello to everyone I see walking down the street and and not ignore anyone. And then if they don't say hello back, I get all pissed off for like two hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so did you, so in your, so when you went back to AA this last time, can you tell me about your experience that time versus that first time? Yeah. So the second time I went into uh, AA, uh, like, I was, I was hitting it hard. I was doing, I did my 90 and 90 and beyond that, I just kept going. Um, and then um, I got a sponsor like a week out of rehab and he brought me through the big book and which was painful because we just had to breed to each other. And I was like, and he's like, and he's like, what's wrong with you? There's something wrong. And I was like, there's nothing wrong. I, I think I'm just bored out of my fucking mind right now. So we went through the steps and it was like, I didn't get any kind of spiritual experience out of the steps. Nothing changed. Um, all the steps, the concepts, all the concepts of the steps I agree with. I just felt like maybe I was always subconsciously doing those steps all along. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the way I choose to live anyway. So I was hitting meetings hard and then for a while, and then I got out of, I got out of rehab in like early September. And then I was doing meetings until like March when COVID hit. And so I haven't been to a meeting since 
that March, when was it? 2019. 20. Yeah, I haven't been to a meeting since then, and I'm doing great. And I do want to go back to meetings because I really enjoyed listening to other people's stories and being able to relate. When I can relate to what other people are saying, it's just really makes me like feel really good. Um, and so I, I intend to go back. I haven't gone back because I don't want to sit in the basement with a mask on and I feel like I'm going to get like claustrophobic or something. I, I so I'm not even, I'm not going to get political or anything like that, but just the, just the fact of me sitting with a bunch of people close with my mask on, I'm going to feel like I'm going to hyperventilate or something. Yeah, I hear you. So, I hear you, but so you had to do different. So you were religiously going to meetings. You said to me that you were thinking that you were starting to kind of get addicted to AA. And that's a common thing that, you know, I, I hear from different people. And what did you have to do when your meetings ended? Like COVID started, meetings ended. What were some of the things that you had to do? Because I talk a lot about mindset shifts. So I'm sure you've had to have quite a few of those to be able to kind of change and to be able to stay sober through all of that time. So what was some stuff that you had to do to keep your sobriety and ways that you had to think about your sobriety without that, without that crutch of AA? Well, I, I continued to read like the big book and some other literature. Um, I got a subscription to the AA mag grapevine magazine. I was like, yeah, I'm a big AA guy now. <laughs> And uh, so I read those. And then eventually I started getting into social media, like Instagram. I found this whole community of people that are, that dedicate their pages to helping other people and being supportive online. And I'm like, this is pretty cool because people are in the same position as I'm in. And I could literally take out my phone at any time of the day and I could see, oh, this person, maybe he's going through the same shit I'm going through right now. Or I can see like a, a really corny inspirational quote that I can make fun of my like by myself and then just, you know, like it. And, but it all helps me, you know what I mean? And oh, yeah. then I listen to podcasts and I read and I'm just in general, I'm always, I'm a big thinker. I am always thinking about um, sobriety and, and, and how I was and how I am and how I want to be and where I think I should be by now. And so I think as long as you always keep your foot in the door with something and not be stagnant and not be like, just like still water or something like that, you can just, you can do it. And I can do it. That's, that's what I've been, that's what I've been doing. It doesn't sound like much, but I'm keeping my, my I'm keeping my foot in the, in the recovery mindset I'm, I'm constantly in that mindset so tell me about before that give me your I want to hear more about your story um we started a little bit with when you were younger but tell me your story with how you finally just decided that you were fucking over it with with drinking well I had been uh well let me start and I'll and I won't go too deep but I'll start from when I first started drinking when I was at like I don't know. I started late, actually, uh, which was like 18 years old. The high school that I went to, everyone was like getting drunk at, and like when they were like 15 and I was totally against it. I didn't want to have any part of it. 
because uh, my family comes from both sides of my family. I have alcoholism. And um, so I got drunk one night in a, at a park or whatever, and I didn't have this huge uh, shift of consciousness or anything like that. I just knew that I wanted to do it the next day. And I continued to do it every day and every day and every day until it got too much. And then I went to AA the first time. Then I just drank for 20 years during the week, heavy on weekends. Uh, and my, my, uh, my benders just started getting closer and closer and closer together. Um, and I had tried to quit a few different times in those 20 years because, um, I was just, maybe I wasn't showing up for work or I was late for work or my wife was just getting sick of it. And so finally my, after 20 years of just getting totally shit faced every, every weekend and not even know if I'm going to make it to work on, on Monday. Uh, that, like I said, the, the benders were getting closer and closer together. Then I try and, I try and quit because my wife has had enough. Maybe I'm a couple months sober, okay? And my wife, she plans uh, a little vacation with her mother. They go to Vermont. Okay, now I'm going to drink. I can't wait for her to go so I can drink as much as I want. Yeah. Um, because you had quit for her, not for you. I quit. Exactly. I quit for her and not for mm -hmm. me. I was not ready. Uh, so, so... So I drank the weekend. My wife was away. I'm thinking I'll just stop before she gets back. Well, that then never it never happened. I was never able to just stop before. So I don't know why I thought I would be able to stop this time and control it. Uh, so she she left again. And now I'm like, OK, well, she's gone. This is fine. I have the house to myself. I can drink as much as I want and I'll be able to get to work every day and it'll be fine uh so i last like a day and i end up just passing out uh in bed at like three four o'clock in the afternoon and my old man stops by because he knows my wife left me because i was drinking and now the person that i respect most in my whole life is sitting at the end of my bed looking at me passed out drunk at three or four o'clock in the afternoon like that's not how I want to be seen yeah so I just uh he offered help he said he said bro do you do you want to go somewhere to get help and I just started crying I'm like I can't I can't stop drinking I said yeah I do and now I don't know if I would have I would have never agreed to that if I wasn't already intoxicated he never would have offered probably if he didn't see me the way I was. So I went to a detox. We, he drove me to a detox center uh, while I was in. I woke up in detox. I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? I don't have a, a game plan. I still want to drink. Um, I got to get out of here. This is going to be a long time. I'm going to be in here for like a week. A couple days in. They all kept telling me, listen, you got it. You can't just go home. You got to go to treatment. You got to do something. And the first time they said that to me, that was like the furthest, like that was not going to happen. Like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. 
Like, I understand that you're telling me that, but that's not going to happen. I'm going home after this. Well, people have a weird idea about what treatment means anyway. Like we have, we have these ideas in our head about what things are before we even do them. Like people have ideas about what AA is before they even do it. People have ideas about what they think sobriety is going to be like before they even do it. So it's normal that you would feel that way because it wasn't an experience that you were even considering, you know, I mean, it's always like that. Oh, I'm not that, you know, like even if you really need it, even if it's something that like you absolutely should do, we have these identities created in our minds about like, oh shit, I'm not that, but you obviously did it. I mean, (laughs) you went ahead. Yeah. So I obviously did it. I, I ended up deciding to go. And I think it's just, I think the biggest reason I decided to go is because I figured I, I could get paid for, for, for doing it. Like I could have some kind of like, uh, whatever it's called. I don't know. I could, I could get paid while I'm in rehab from my job or something like that. I was like, all right, well, I, I don't feel like going back to work. I'll get paid and go, go to rehab and then see what happens. I think that was my main motivation. I'm just going not the only person I know that has had that experience, by the way. I mean, and that that's great. If you have an employer that would do that, I think that that's great. That's absolutely awesome. So yes, it worked out good for me because I decided to go and, and I was there for like 34 days or something like that. I got, you go in there and then you're the new guy. And then by my 30th day, I was the OG there. I was the person that was there for the longest time. I could tell everyone how to get everywhere and this and that, and you can really back into the room this way. And you, how do you get to the cafeteria? It's all, it's over here. Um, but anyway, like a weekend, I, I'm sitting in a, in a class cause they have, they have meetings and then they have classes that tell you about uh, your brain and how it works and how addiction works and mm-hmm. everything like that. Not just Alcoholics Anonymous or NA meetings. They actually teach you how to, how your brain works and things like that, which is pretty cool. And so I was sitting there and I just, I got a different perception of myself because I could see myself in rehab, there I was, I'm in, I'm, I'm Joe, I'm in rehab right now. Okay. There's no turning back from this. I can't, I can't leave rehab and pretend that I'm a normal drinker. This is it. I have to give up. This is who I am. I almost, I think, mm-hmm. I, I think right there I created a, and now it's, it's benefited me. I think I've created a new identity for myself, which can be healthy or not. No, no, no. It's good because you kind of have to. Yeah. And that's sort of the way that I stopped drinking. And I think before you learn all of that information about how the brain works, because for me, I read a lot of books on how the brain works. That's how I stopped drinking. So it was kind of the recognition Mm. of some of that stuff. But I think what you're talking about is the idea that when you drink a lot for that long excessively, the, the idea of moderation kind of goes out the window, not because you have a lack of willpower, because that's not the case, but rather because your brain's chemistry gets completely altered. And the way that it releases chemicals and the way that it releases dopamine and stimulants and to counteract alcohol and the habitual excessive use over time completely changes. And I wish that, and maybe you could tell me about how you feel about this, 
But I wish that there was a way, and this is some of the work that I try to do, into bringing that knowledge to people before they get to a point where they're in rehab. Like before they get to the point where they have to be in a place where they're taught that. And I think that a lot of it has to do with stigma around stopping drinking. I mean, that's my own personal feeling on it. I don't know how you feel on it. But anyway, I would love to hear, I want to hear the rest of your story. But also, if you could just tell me a little bit about how that changing of your identity and knowing that all of that information has um, kind of worked out for you. Well, when I was in rehab, there was there was a lot of inconsistencies in, in rehab too, because they talk about the disease concept, which I'm not sold on. And they talk about the brain chemistry and how you, your brain gets addicted. Um, so, and they also preached, see, they, they preached AA, they preached the disease concept, which I'm not sold on. And they, and they preach science. Mm-hmm. The disease concept and the science one are kind of close together. Um, so I had a lot to, to think about. Um, I think I held on to the, to the scientific part of it because I could, I could understand that my brain changed because I was drinking every day for 20 years your brain is going to change. So I was, I wasn't even concerned about any trauma I may or may not have had. I'm not convinced that I drink because of any trauma that I may or may not have had. I think it may be as simple as I was young and I was, I loved to drink. Then it became such a habit that I needed it. And now my brain has altered itself to when it doesn't have it, it, I'm not in a good mental state when I don't have it. Well, you were talking um, about drinking 12 beers a day in a, at one point. And, you know, when you do that, that like people, I think, don't realize how addictive alcohol is. And I want to go back, by the way, to your new identity. So I'm not skipping over that at all. I really want to talk about that. Um, but I think people don't realize how addictive alcohol is. And the feeling of withdrawal from alcohol can be as simple as, wow, I really feel like I could go for a drink right now. And that's alcohol withdrawal, but it's so small that people don't pay attention to it. And and then when you're, when you're like us and you and I are the same, I mean, like, I'm just like you, I didn't drink until later in life. I was president of the fucking sad club in high school. I mean, like I didn't, um, I didn't drink until much later. And um, when I did start, I, fucking hit it hard and you know a lot of that same science applies but I do want to go back to the changing of your identity because you were saying you were in rehab you were you were are so now we're like 30 some days in and you had this realization that you had to come out of rehab as a different person can you talk to me a little more about that because like we can I I sidetracked us I'm so sorry no I that's fine I like that I like to zigzag and go off a little bit Um, so I think it was only like a week in to rehab, which is, which is good because I'm glad it didn't take me the whole time to realize that, or I would have been going out of my mind the whole time. 
so I was in sitting in one of the classes and I just perceived myself as, okay, I'm Joe in rehab. Okay. I'm not, I'm not drinking Joe. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Joe who goes to work and works hard and still pays the bills. And so he can drink as much as he wants when he gets home and he's a manly guy and he does yard work and he drinks when he does yard work and, and, uh, and all this identity masculine in tox like like mass masculinity but like i wanted to be a, like a tough guy drinking working guy you know yes that okay. that's part of it though that's part of why we do it i mean because yeah. we associate that was how i was with cigarettes but please continue i mean it's that you're tying that shit in yeah so now i'm like all right i'm in rehab and i really like what these people are saying i mean because i'm because now we're getting into the science of it i can't deny the science of of things so okay i'm like all right this is it i'm i have to give up the fight i think i also probably realized that i just i i knew that i shouldn't drink for a long time i had known that for a long time but i think that i finally made the decision that i i wasn't going to i was going to be i was going to be rehab joe rehab a a a joe uh, and I guess that was kind of my spiritual experience. Maybe if that's what you want to call it, it's nothing like any kind of magical. There was no like rainbow that like went across over my head or anything <laughs> like that. Like while I thought that, but, um, yeah, so luckily that was only like a week into the rehab. And then I, I really, um, I learned a lot. And uh, the rehab, the rehab was awesome. I had, a, I kind of want to go back to rehab because it was great. The food was amazing. Okay. I didn't have to do any chores at home. I didn't have to take out the garbage. I, I, could, I had, I had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I can go out and smoke like cigarettes, like five times a day. Um, I would just, there was air conditioning. There was TV. There was a comfortable bed. I was like, this is not bad. Okay. Um, and then it, I was scared to get out. I wanted to get out, but I was scared to get out. And then like, yeah, so then I just started hitting those meetings hard. And now, so it's August of 2019, I wake up in a detox. And now it's May, 2021. And I have two podcasts and I'm now I'm on your podcast. And I'm talking about how I don't drink and I've continued to stay in this recovery game every single day, despite going to AA. And I don't want to drink when I get home. Sometimes I want to drink when I'm, when I'm by myself and I'm working and I'm tired and I'm hungry. They say lonely, hungry, tired and all that stuff. Um, I fantasize about it. A lot I do, but when I get home, I don't want to drink. I want to come home and I want to take a hot shower and I want to be with my wife and I want to have a hot meal. And that second that my head hits the pillow, that's like my, it, it feels almost as good when I do that as it did when I was able to get that drink that I was jonesing for every day when yeah, I got home. Absolutely. And it's a natural, you know, that's kind of like you learning to appreciate rest you learning to appreciate good things for your body um my listeners i talk a lot about identity and changing your identity 
I'm looking at you. You are obviously a, a manly motherfucker. Like, I mean, you're, you're not any less manly. You look like a guy who works and does yard work and like all of those things that you said you, that you were, that you tied your drinking into. Mm. So what was the reframe for you? And how did you tell how did you come to terms with the fact that, Hey, I'm still that person. Like I'm still that guy. I still do all that stuff without the alcohol. That took a little while. When I, when I went right out of rehab, I, um, I remember I was sitting in my living room. I would just stare at the wall for like an hour because I had no motivation to do anything. Um, my motive, a lot of my inspiration and motivation and me wanting to be active, ironically came from alcohol because it gave me fuel to do things that were actually um, productive things, but that, that only is, that only lasts like a couple hours. Okay. And then I go into overdrive. Mm. Um, so just to get the motivation to like do things that I actually liked to do, I would drink first before I did them, like do yard work or do some kind of, um, woodworking project or, um, something 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 like that or or maybe like play play the guitar I had to be totally I had to be at a certain point just to pick up the guitar or draw or something like that so it took me a few months and I'm still struggling with it to be honest with you like I'm doing a lot of yard work and things right now we have awesome garden in the front we just me and my wife planted a whole bunch of things and um, I like a lot of the times still right now I, I find that I'm I'm doing things just so that they're done and I can feel good that they're done and that I did them and I'm still practicing staying present in the moment and trying to enjoy things while I'm doing them because mm-hmm. a lot of times when I was drinking I was I had to be productive while I drank a percentage of the time so I wouldn't feel so bad about it and so I could say that well, I'm not that bad of an alcoholic because look at all the things that I do. Um, so I relate I, to that. Yeah. That's, yeah. It, and it's, it's all, you know, we're, we're making excuses, but I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it's, you almost convince yourself that that's what it is. You're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, this is, this is my, and, and it's all looped into all of that stuff. But, you know, I want to, you were talking about being in the present moment. I know that that's one of the steps I was looking at your latest episode of your, your podcast, your, your deconstructing AA. Okay. So I was, I was looking at that. So is that like, did you practice any sort of prayer or mindfulness before you entered recovery? Because I know with drinking, with drinking, you're never, you're never there. Like you're never, you're never present. You're always fucking somewhere else at least that's my experience I don't know if that was your experience with it so I didn't know if you did any centering practices before while you were drinking well when I was when I was drinking um say I had the perfect high and buzz going in that particular moment and I knew that I had enough beer to last me until I passed out and I knew that I could just keep I didn't have to let's like say I was on the 
on my front porch and I would just be drinking and drinking. And I knew I had enough beer for the night and I knew no one was going to be able to bother me. And, and I could feel the alcohol flowing through my veins and I could perceive the world in a, a different way. And it could be uh, inspiring and it can be motivational. And I could also at the same time, acknowledge my true self, how much of an alcoholic I was. Those were enlightening experiences for me. That's why I, a reason why I let, loved alcohol so much because I thought it was bringing me to a place that I wanted to be like spiritually. And cause I, I, I felt that way a lot of the times that I was, I was in that moment, but did I practice it sober? No, I never practiced it sober. I always wanted to try and trap the feeling that I had and bring it into the next day. And I could yeah. never do that. I said, there's got to be some way I can catch this feeling and bring it into the next day without having to drink. I, it can't be done. I'm convinced that that can't be. Well, I haven't figured it out yet because I'm going to get there somehow. Oh, no, but... you're going to get there. Listen, there are there are ways it is possible. There are ways through mindfulness. There's a lot of that threat, like a lot of being centered in the present moment, remaining in the present moment. You can. You can get those types of experiences. I understand the feeling. I used to love being drunk and listening to music. Like there was just, there was something about being drunk and listening to music. It was like the vibe of the universe I could feel. I was like, this is, this is brilliant. Like, I mean, and it was everything. It was, it was love. It was passion. It was sex. It was like, it was just, it was everything. Like that feeling of being drunk, that feeling of just that, that blissful euphoria. But, and I remember one night being outside of like a bar that I used to go to and a guy and I, a friend of mine and I, we were talking and I remember saying, Jim, I swear this is, this is the meaning of life. And I don't, and the next day I woke up and I, I didn't remember what I said. I've never recovered it. <laughs> I was in the, I was in the state of drunkenness where my brain was no longer making memories. Yeah. Um, I'm not as, I'm not as sober as you. Um, I'm, I'm only, um, December and, and day after Christmas, 2019 is when I, when I got sober, but I will tell you that I have through mindfulness and through that sort of, those sort of practices been able to achieve a lot of that stuff. It just takes a lot of work and practice. I mean, if you, if you think about it, I mean, it, when you think about the years that you put into drinking, exactly. You know, so it takes some time, but I want to talk about your, your, your spirituality in general, because I think a lot of people are put off by spirituality. And I find that even if you don't try, like not people in general are put off by spirituality, but I feel like the, the, the entire drinking populace tends to be put off by spirituality. In fact, when I talk to people about AA and like, do you, you know, people that I think really need to fucking go to AA, and, and I don't like to judge people in that way, but there are some people that I know that really need to fucking go to AA. Um, the main thing that they say to me is, I just don't know if I can do with, do the God thing. I don't, I don't know if I can do the God thing. And 
yet I find when you get sober, you almost can't help but have that spirituality enter your life. It's kind of like when you get fit and healthy. Like I went through a transition with that years ago before I got sober. How did you, how did you kind of, what were the things that you did to let that into your life and not push it away? Uh, Well, AA talks about a higher power. And the more I heard about the concept of a higher power, the more I tried to see if I could find one. Um, I've, I've always been, I've always been a spiritual guy. I, I constantly think about where I was before I was born, where I was, where I'm going to go after, because we're all, I, I constantly think about death. And I think a lot of people don't think about, you know, you were already dead. You, we, we were somewhere before we were here. Well, that's what, that's what I believe. I think that's, that's a spiritual statement because you have to believe that this, when you say that you're, you're saying that your body is, um, is a body. It's It's a body. And that's it. It's a body. Yeah. And that's it. It's a body. you You have energy in your body. You have a spirit. Um, you have control. The fact that you have control of this body means that there's something in there, okay, that is that is on its own within it's the consciousness. Body. It's in. It's, it's con- infinite. It's it's infinite consciousness. Yes. It's yeah. it's always existed. It can't be created. It has always lived. Right. I mean, that's that's and you know that can be. I know that people in the Christian faith or you know whatever kind of different faiths might not believe that, and that's fine. I mean that's totally fine. This is just our belief. But uh, I share this belief with you, but it's cool to think about consciousness in that way. And so you've always sort of kind of known this. Yeah. So I was always familiar with the, that relationship with with spirit and the body that we just talked about. I've always been familiar with that concept. So it wasn't hard for me to kind of find the higher power. And I don't even know what that higher power was. Um, I actually think it was. I didn't even make it a spiritual thing. I think I, at first I made it AA as a higher power because one person is more, uh, two people is more powerful than one, four people are more powerful than two, that kind of thing. I can't lift up this table by myself, but if I have someone else help me lift the table, then that's a power greater than me helping me lift the table, that kind of thing. Yep. So now I, I believe that there's something going on that i can't see that's basically the only way that i can describe it but i think people want to take that statement of a higher power and they want to make it like about a christian god or about and and i since i don't go to aa i would love for you to tell these these listeners that might be here if they do think that is does it have to be like that does it have to be a christian god or can it be, as you said, what we were talking about, something completely different? And are they accepting? It can absolutely be something different. I AA is not a religious organization. But that's kind of bullshit, in my opinion. 
people are going to, I mean, at the end of every meeting, there's a freaking Lord's prayer. So people are going to tell you that it's not a religious organization. They're right. It, it's not technically, but there's a lot of influence. A lot of, and they say that, then they say the Lord's prayer. And then they say the Lord, right. Like, what uh, the fuck? Like, not, a, not a religious organization. Let me see it. Let me say the Lord's prayer. Like, what the right. Like, you know, I, my parents are, my parents were not religious. I didn't grow up with a religion. I still, like, I was, I don't know, 30 by the time I knew the words to the Lord's prayer. Like, you know how embarrassing it is to not know the words to the Lord's prayer? You're like, yeah. fuck a duck. <laughs> that's, that's off-put. I think that that would be off-putting to me. I would find that yeah. off-putting. So I think if people are worried about the religious aspect of AA, I think they should go into AA anyway and just navigate it in a way where you can find at least one person that you trust and just use that, use your, because hopefully by then you have the alcohol out of your system and you can think straight and you can, you can sense if you have a, if you're going to vibe with, with someone. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to explain. Cause I would just want to, I want to say most people in AA are fucking assholes, but they're not. Well, you know um, what it is though. I think when you're, you're starting to you, when you're stopping drinking and I had to go through this, you surround yourself with people that are like you just in life. Like the people that are around you are the people that resemble you. So if you are, if you have a drinking problem and you want to stop drinking, I bet you your five best friends can't do fucking shit for you. So go into AA, you're going to meet somebody. You need the community. You need at least one person, you know, like one person. You need somebody. Yeah. It, not, not everyone is going to bombard you with, with religion. Um, there are people that have higher powers that are nature there are people that their higher power is aa there are people whose higher power is i i don't know there are plenty of people in aa whose higher power are something other than a religious god mm -hmm. so just know that and all those people are still saying the lord's prayer at the end of the meeting which i do too because i no, it's kind of ritualistic or whatever, but it's also, this is what, this is what they do. Okay. I'm, I'm in the meeting. I'll, I'll do it too. I'm, it's, it's fine with me. I really don't have a huge problem with it. Right, absolutely. I, acknowledge, I acknowledge the religious part of it. Um, and I don't have anything against people that believe in a religious God. That's, that's fine too. But there's, there's plenty of people that have a higher power and are, spiritual in the way that me and you just spoke about that you'll you'll find those people and you will learn how to navigate the people that you want to be around and even if you don't talk to a lot of people in a which i don't i don't talk to a lot of people individually when i go to meetings uh, i mean i do but not a lot for the most part the reason i go there is because i'm surrounded by people who also may or may not want to drink on that given night and they're not drinking and they're not drinking with me and they might want to drink 
I might want to drink that night. And they might want to drink way more than I do. And they're not drinking. They're there. And I, I like to be able to hear, even if it's like one time out of 10 meetings, I hear somebody say something that I can relate to. It's, it's worth it. It, it happens almost every meeting. But even if it happened one out of 10 times, being able to re relate to someone, throw away any higher power, throw away any religious talk. If you're surrounded by people that also know that they shouldn't be drinking, that energy alone, okay, is enough. Maybe that can be your higher power. I, I think that the amalgamation amalgamation is that a good word for it i mean the collective energy of people is powerful and, yeah. and it's kind of why when you have big dreams you shouldn't tell somebody that hates you about them because somebody else's energy can fuck you up you know like it can throw you off track yeah speaking of big dreams well i don't know if these are i mean i know that um you're working on a bunch of things so I want to hear more about it. I want to hear all about your big dreams. What's happening? Well, jeez. Oh, it's funny you should uh, say that because right now I'm kind of, I'm a little bit stagnant right now, to be honest with you. One of my problems has always been I've never had any goals. So what I'm doing now is getting out of my comfort zone. I called you up. I was very nervous about this. Why? And I'm great. Just I, guess, <laughs> I know. I, I'm trying to get out of my comfort zone and do things that I don't want to do and see where that takes me. I don't, the only, the only, the only goal that I have right now, this is horrible is to, is that is to possibly like retire and like before I'm like too old to enjoy it. That's my only goal right now. I'm can, trying can to I ask you how old, how old you are is I'm 40. Oh yeah. You told me that already. Um, yes. Now I remember at 40. I think that that's a pretty reasonable goal considering that it's really hard to think about retirement in our generation. You know, yeah. you and I are only about five years apart, but um have you thought about the idea that you don't necessarily need to have goals? I mean, you should have an idea of things that you want in life. But what I find is that processes tend to be far more beneficial than goals. Because while goals are great, like it's, it's great to have a goal. Like let's say that it's, I'll just give a random example. Let's say that you have a goal that you are, that you want to lose 50 pounds, right? It's never going to happen. Like, oh, I want to lose 50 pounds. It's, it's not going to happen. I mean, it happens for some people. But what really works is having processes. Okay, my, my, my process every day is to do this or to do this or to do this. And I do it daily. And daily action is, will move you forward 100 times faster than goals. And I think right now you are experiencing, you're doing daily action with your podcasts. I mean, I looked at your podcast. You have like so many episodes so that's a that's a that's a big thing yeah that that is a that is a big thing because uh it's something that i'm proud of because i didn't stop doing it 
despite whether I think people are listening or not, or if I had a good podcast or a bad podcast, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth at any given day that I do it. And usually when I just start talking, something comes out that I didn't know was going to come out and it helps me. So long-term goals, no, I don't really have, (laughs) I've never been really a long-term goal or any kind of goal-oriented kind of guy. I have, right now, I have everything that I've ever wanted. I have a job where I don't have to be around people all day. Okay, that's the curmudgeon in me. Um, I have a, a nice car. I have a beautiful home. I have a beautiful wife. I can pay my bills. I mean, I have everything that I have ever or could ever want. I am just trying to every day become more comfortable in my own skin, which I have improved in that very much so. Show up imperfect. That, that's pretty huge. That, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, I don't know if you can remember any situations you, you've been in where maybe you were had just stopped drinking or why, why maybe you were drinking and I couldn't sit still. I couldn't, I could not just sit. Now I can, I can just, I can just sit. Sometimes I can, if I'm a little antsy, but if I'm like, if I had already maybe burned off some physical energy doing something that I needed to do, and then I sit down and then I I know that I've done the things that I wanted to do and I can sit, I can simply sit with no TV. I don't have to look at my phone. I mean, I do end up picking my phone up like every like 30 seconds, but I don't, I don't have to, I can do it. I've done it before. I can just sit. That's an amazing to sit, to just sit and look. It is. It's a huge people can't. And that's what happened during COVID. I think is that people, people couldn't do it because part of get being sober and, and not having, and and it's this quote that was in a, it was in a book um, that was given to me um by what what the fuck was his name jimmy breslin that said when you stop drinking you have to deal with the marvelous personality that got you drinking in the first place and that's hard and because we all started for some reason i mean i look at you you're you're an awesome guy you have a great personality i mean the curmudgeon is part of that personality along with just like all of the other great things about about you but you have to deal with it all I mean, when you're not, when you're drinking, you don't even, you don't get to even interact with yourself. So I think with COVID, people had to sit there in their truth and it was not easy for them. And so we saw people hammered drunk. We saw people, I mean, I, I mean, I know people that, that have other, other, we saw people getting blowing up to twice their size because, these are people that aren't alcoholics. I mean, it's all the same shit, you know, like this is, it's all the same stuff, drinking, overeating, pathological liar. I mean, like, it's all the, it's all a lot of that, that basics. It's the brain, it's you, you know, and it's, it's, we do things to avoid facing ourselves. And it probably was a major blessing for you that you had already been sober when COVID started because you had already been on the path to being able to sit that was that was that was huge being able to bang out all those meetings before covid hit i could kind of you know stuff them in my pocket and i i had all that information and all those experiences from the meetings um that really helped me a lot i was really yeah i was i was very lucky um i uh 
know, people are getting sober through Zoom meetings and they're doing it. And I think that's awesome. And I'm, I'm glad that I didn't have to do it. I don't know if I would have been so successful or whatever you want to call it. Maybe I would have gotten into it, but the Zoom, the Zoom A meetings, I, I'm, I don't particularly care for anymore. I tried it from a, a few times, but then I just, I got, I got distracted. I, I don't know. It just wasn't the same because I was coming from the mothball smelling church room, stale coffee, uh, <laughs> sometimes good cookies. I was coming from that. Now I was in a zoom meeting and I just, I couldn't compare the two. I, there, I don't think that there is a comparison. You paint a great visual of, of the, the room that you go to this meeting in like and the weird thing is i can taste the motel six coffee that you're describing like which yeah. I, can... I love i don't know why i love that coffee if i made that coffee in my house i would throw it away but when i go to that <laughs> meeting, i it's so good i don't understand how that works tell me about um if you can if you if you can can you maybe give some advice to people that are having trouble with sitting and being with themselves. Like when they're, when they're first stopping drinking. Cause I do, I do remember myself in that, in that situation. And I had trouble. I, I am a runner. And for a long time I replaced drinking with running until I got hurt and I couldn't do it anymore. But it, it was a long process for me also to learn to, to sit. And is there any advice that you can offer people on, on just how to fucking do that. Well, obviously when any of the al- remaining alcohol is out of your system, it's going to make it a lot easier. There was no chance of me sitting still, say if I was hungover or I was just a couple days sober, it wasn't going to happen. All that alcohol had to pass through me. That was the first part of being able to sit still. Um, the second part is burning off excess physical energy that I have, because if I'm going to be stagnant for a while, I don't know how I create this physical energy, but it's created. And that's when I might get uh, restless. Okay. We got that restless, irritable discontent thing going. I get restless when I haven't burned off enough physical energy. Um, so I have no alcohol in my system. I burned off the excess physical energy and I have done some things even though I didn't want to do them. And then you have, you have a clear conscience because you're doing, now you're doing all the right things. And that's what makes it easier for you and your body to be still. And you're still going to get a bunch of thoughts in your head but even if you just sit for a little while and then you realize that your breathing has become very calm and you're in a relaxed state and you're doing nothing and you don't have alcohol in your system that's a beautiful thing oh yeah and you got to move through them you got to be able to move through them you have those thoughts you move through them you know you have whatever feelings come up you move through them I mean, you can't, I think, well, a lot of times when we, when we drink and I, I mean, and 
I, and I did this. It's, it was because I didn't want to think a particular thing, or I didn't want to feel a particular thing. I know you said for you, that wasn't the case for me. It absolutely was. And sometimes it was just a matter of overthinking. I mean, I think my first five years drinking heavily, I was doing so because I didn't want to be thinking. And it was just so nice to not be thinking. And then I realized after a period of time that I can, I can use other methods to not think. And also when I have a thought that I don't particularly like, or I have a feeling I don't particularly like, that shows me an opportunity that I can use to figure out a place where I need to improve and I need to work on that area. So if I'm having an experience where I feel like drinking, I'm like, okay, well, what exactly is going on here? Like, why do I want to be drinking right now? And if it's sheer boredom, I think to myself, well, why the hell am I bored right now? Like, isn't there something else that I could be doing? I mean, boredom is, is, is an idiotic concept. I mean, I, why would I be bored? I either can be doing something or I can be enjoying the fact that I'm doing nothing, but either way, I should never be feeling bored. And all of a sudden the urge to drink kind of leaves. And I don't know, where do you experience, where do you experience, like, where do you, when do you want to drink the most and how do you, and how do you reframe it for, for anybody that might find value in it? When I want to drink the most is when I'm by myself and I'm tired and I'm hungry. Um, and I, I, what I do is I usually, I have to get um, like a cup of coffee or uh, a water or just nibble on something. Uh, and it's, it's funny how that works. You just, you need some kind of, I need some kind of nourishment. It's probably because I eat like, I eat like shit. So it might happen. That's maybe be why it happens often. But um, I mean, when I if you if you if you fix that a little bit, it might it might improve. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But to answer your question that usually when I want to drink, it usually happens to me when I'm when I'm tired and when when I'm hungry. And yeah, so I'll just I'll eat something and that helps. but I, I'm practicing to detach from the way I feel when I'm in that state of mind and observe it as an emotion, which is fucking hard to do. I have not been successful yet, I don't think, but I practice it when it comes up. It's, really, it's, not, it's not easy Why do you think do. you're unsuccessful? Because I'm still... Because I'm still pissed off in that moment, and and I'm pissed off that I can't drink. And um, are you not... pissed off that you can't drink, or are you pissed off about something else? No, I'm well. I'm also pissed off that I'm tired and I'm working, and um, yeah, there's there's other things I'm pissed off about. So when I think about those things, that that makes me want to drink. Yes, that's like thank you for so you... bringing that. <laughs> Thank you for walking me through that because I, that's not even something that I was like conscious of, believe it or not. It's so, it's so simple. Thank you for, you just, <laughs> you just, you just, you just put a light bulb over my head. Well, I'm pissed off about other things. So obviously, yeah, I want to, I want to drink. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm practicing it. I'm practicing detaching myself from those things. And as I said, it's not easy. I don't think I've been successful yet, but. Maybe I can just acknowledge that I'm just simply frustrated. 
um, whether you know, it's I always, I, I always want to tell you, you know, um, and I say this to, to people that I work with, it's not a problem. Well, it's not a problem. It's a, re- well, let, let me start over. <laughs> I say this to people. Alcohol, wanting to drink often is the result of a problem. So like you're saying, okay, I feel this way. I'm pissed off. I want to drink. One, drinking isn't the problem. It's the, the shit that, that you're pissed off about. So to get the urge to drink to go away, you got to tweak with the shit. So it's not so much. Everybody always kind of wants to tackle the problem. They want to go, okay, I don't want to, I want to drink. So let me, let me attack that. And in reality, you got to attack the, the other, the other part. Otherwise it's, it'll just continue forever and ever and ever. So if it's, if it's work, then we got to think, okay, well, what's going on at work? Like if, if work is pissing me off, okay, but why am I pissed off at work? And then I would go that way. That's the way that I would, that's, I would start. That's great advice. And it's, it's just simple, just frustration. I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I don't want to be. I'm doing something that I just don't want to be doing in that moment. And I, I could go drink a beer and that would make me feel so much better, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's just simple. It's just being, it's just being frustrated. How do you yep. be frustrated and not want to drink? Well, I can try and I can, I can try and acknowledge what the hell is going on right now. Yep. And you can also remember that you are completely 100% always in control of your inner state. So you can always control, you can't control what's going on. And it doesn't seem to me that you hate your job. Um, It doesn't seem that way. Um, If there's a frustrating part of it, that does happen with everyone's work, because that's because otherwise they would call it something other than work. Um, You know, you can always change your inner world. So you can always, and that is what takes the practice. So it's not so much working on the urge to drink. It's not so much working on removing the urge to drink. It's work. The practice, the, the work is changing your inner state in the moments that you feel the frustration, which caused the urge to drink. And that's, I mean, and believe me, I tend bar two days a week. Like if there is a, if there is a place that will make you want to, and it's not because I'm sitting in a room full of alcohol. You know, it's interesting. I can sit in a room full of alcohol all the time and people will say to me, Oh, this is so hard. It's got to be so hard for you to not want to drink right now. And I'm thinking, no, it's, it's not hard for me to look at all of this liquor and not want to drink it. I have no desire to touch anything on that shelf. If I get an asshole that comes in, like my, my first guest on Saturday, who was irate beyond measure that we didn't have bottled beer and decided to go on a 10 minute tirade about it. Like leave, this is New York city. You can go anywhere in the fucking city. That's going to have bottled beer. We just don't happen to have it. I mean, but the motherfucker, you know, decided to, you know, he needed attention and he needed to be validated and he needed all that stuff. And in that moment, I thought I could really use a drink. Mm -hmm. And it was because I let my inner state react to his shit and what i should have done was say andy this gentleman is just old crotchety miserable has something else going on and he's acting this way because he needs attention and instead of putting that into perspective with myself i let myself run amok and therefore the urge to drink came in because it would have and i didn't even want 
wine drink at that moment. But it wasn't because I'm standing in a room full of liquor. It's because I didn't alter my inner world to to adapt to this jackass. And, you know, and that's where the practice, that's the work. That's the work. That's the real work. Yeah, he almost, you almost possibly just like engaged your energy over to him and he just grabbed it you know Mm -hmm. and to be able to remove yourself from someone who's just a total fucking asshole like that and 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 not re respond and and uh and do whatever it is you got to do inside here to not let it affect you that's 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 huge it's hard yeah hard work I think that's what a lot of people don't understand about alcohol is just that like there's so much more loaded into drinking than just, oh, I drink. You know, there's there's all of this. There's all of the especially when, you know, you call yourself and you've said it a few times, you've called yourself a curmudgeon. I I mean, I think you have to be pretty damn intelligent to be a curmudgeon. I mean, there are, I don't know any stupid curmudgeons. I know a lot of stupid, happy people, but I don't know any stupid curmudgeons. <laughs> so sometimes I think it's just that, it's just that, oh, I have to deal with this situation, which is complete bullshit. And, right. you know, and then you end up and then that's where you end up. So it's like, it, it sucks when you're, when you're like that, because, you know, it's, it's a gift that you have to be intelligent. Otherwise you wouldn't have figured out in the first week of rehab the, all of the things that you figured out i mean people go through 90 day treatment programs multiple times and don't come to that realization so i think with you a big thing that's in your that is the fact that you just you're a smart dude you know and like that unfortunately is means that you're going to see a lot and that unfortunately means you're going to get irritated by a lot so there's a lot of work yeah that is it is a lot of work and as long as i acknowledge as long as i keep acknowledging it and keep practicing it i mean i've already improved in some ways so i know i know that i can improve more i'm not in a place yet where i can say that i drinking never enters into my mind that's not even a, a possibility I, I can say since i got out of rehab that i've never contemplated going into a liquor store i've thought about it i've fantasized about it but i have never seriously uh, let me the word i'm looking for is considered it i have never considered it i've thought about it i've fantasized about it i've done things like that but i've never considered it i i do often fantasize about drinking and things like that so um I know at least a couple people that are in a place. It sounds like you might be in that place that just really have no desire. Um, they just they just don't miss it. They don't have the desire. And uh, my my old man's like that, and he doesn't go to meetings. He doesn't do anything. And he says, Joe, that the, there's nothing in the world that can make me drink again because I have absolutely no desire to drink i already know that nothing good will come of it and i think it's because they know how it'll make them he probably knows how it'll make him feel and i'm still under the impression that it's going to make me feel a certain way that i want to feel that i want to feel that numbness or enlightenment or coziness 
or whatever. And it's not going to be nearly as good as I am um, fantasizing it's going to be. Well, you're probably, you're going to be chasing, you know, you're chasing 10% of the experiences that you've ever had. 90% of the experiences were shit. So I think, mm -hmm. so that's where your dad's at. That's where I'm at. Um, I would be lying to you if I said I never wanted to drink. I love day drinking. It's beautiful weather right now. I can't tell you that I, I wouldn't love to be walking by a, a place with, you know, a nice brunch and getting hammered and going to bed by five o'clock in the afternoon. But I know that that's romanticized. I know that I would go to bed at five o'clock in the afternoon and I would wake up at 8 p.m. and I would feel like hammered garbage. I would eat entirely too much. I would be 10 pounds heavier. My running would be terrible. I mean, like my relationships would be crap. I would be sending terrible drunk texts to men I want to sleep with and, you know, that 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 are inappropriate. Um, I would be acting like an asshole. I would probably be fighting with my mother. I mean, I know in my in my in the work that I've done um, with sobriety and it's a process, but I know logically that everything is better without drinking. So when like your experience with the liquor store is kind of my experience with the bar um, and not the bar that I work in two days a week, but going to the bar. I love bars. I love bars. And I, the experience of wanting to drink in bars. Yeah. Like I, I think I see people drinking and I think, wow, that would be so nice. And I don't, I would never lie and say, I don't feel that way. Cause I do, I feel that way every single day that doesn't, but I know how my life was when I was drinking and that shit storm was not, was not what I wanted. It's I've made it up. Like it's made up in my mind. And if you, if you can, you should read this naked mind by Annie Grace. And you should also read alcohol lied to me by Craig Beck. These are both really, really good books. I read both of them and they are very helpful in reframing your thoughts around drinking. Like just, it's, it's different. It's different than, than AAs. It's a different approach. It's kind of thinking about both of those books kind of help you to, to change your mindset about how it actually is, because we all as drinkers, we create these worlds of like how good it was. And the further out you get from it, the easier it is to romanticize how good it was. But it, it was never that, it, it wasn't as good as we thought it was, you know, like it really wasn't. Yeah. It's, it's that 10%, like you just said, mm-hmm. is what we, is what we remember. I, you know, I, I'll remember that 10% before I remember me uh throwing up in the in the toilet before work and then looking at myself in the mirror with bloodshot eyes and tears running down my face just from the vomiting you know that's disgusting and i don't remember that first i remember that feeling of enlightenment when i don't have work uh the next two days and i know that i can drink as much as i want and things like that that's and that feeling that i got in, in that moment i don't get the feeling that I wake up at like three o'clock in the morning and then I have to go to the the bathroom when I, and my mouth is disgusting and 
you know, whatever. Those and you can't go back crazy. to sleep because alcohol knocks you into deep sleep and it, and your body can only handle so much deep sleep. So the science is you can only handle so much deep sleep. So you skip REM sleep. So after that many hours, you wake up, your mouth is disgusting. Everything's disgusting. And then you're awake mm-hmm. and, and then you try to sleep. And right. then you, you just lay there. And then, you know, after like two hours, you finally get back to sleep and then your alarm goes off and in, in, in two more hours and you're like, yeah. oh, fuck, I feel like hammered shit. And I did that every day for years. Yeah. For years. But I remember, but I'm like you, I remember the 10%. I remember that 10% when I felt better and more complete than anyone in the universe. Like I was just like, this is life. I'll tell you, mindfulness helps using, you know, and, and meditation helps. And I, I'm not trying to sit and preach Zen Buddhism here because I'm relatively new to um, mindfulness. I'm like brand new, like still in diapers. But um, if your view of spirituality and the universe and energy is what I think it is, you might find a lot of value in it. And that will get you closer. I, I mean, it's not going to be that complete zonked out feel like you're floating feeling that you had with alcohol but the good news about this is that it does carry over so with alcohol you lose it after after you go to sleep it's it's expired this is more sustainable so yeah it's something um reese's pieces peanut butter cups also help me oh they're great oh my god (laughs) one of my favorite candies and iced coffee (laughs) And uh, I get up in the morning, I'm not hungover. And I sit on my porch. I have actually have time before I get to work. I sit on my front porch. I have a little iced coffee. And uh, I'm not dreading the day. You know what I mean? I'm not like, how am I going to get through this day? Have, I mean, I've been through so many, so many days where I just didn't understand how I was going to get through it. I mean, you get to work, you immediately look at the clock. How the fuck is it possible that I'm going to get to this day? Because I wouldn't, I mean, I, I, I have drank in su- during the job on, on some jobs when I knew I could get away with it, but most jobs that I had, there was no way that I could get away with it. So I had to, I had to Jones all day. Now I can mm-hmm. wake up. I can sit on my front porch. It's getting nice out. I can have a little iced coffee. I can go to work. I can come home. And I can sleep. I actually used to be afraid when I, when I, whenever I didn't drink for whatever reason, while I was actively drinking, I was sleeping. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible. I was so, I was, I had a fear of falling asleep because every time I almost dozed off, I would jump. I would, I would have that feeling that you're like falling back. Mm-hmm. off like your chair or something like that and i would just jump up like out of that moment where i was just about to fall asleep and it was just it was just hell and now i can just i can hit the pillow and i can i can read like a couple pages of, of whatever i'm reading like three books right now i'm like all over the place and i can read a couple pages and I'm, then i'm done i'm out and i'm and i don't i haven't used my i don't need to use an alarm clock i just get up and it's, it's just, there's too many, there's too many awesome parts of, of not drinking uh, that are so easy to, to, um, to forget, you know? Absolutely. 
tell me about your, do you have any friends that are still drinking that, that are, are having trouble letting it go? And what do you think, what do you think people that need to, that really want to stop drinking, but aren't, what do you think that, what do you have to say to those people? Like, what, what do you, what advice do you have for them? Besides, besides obviously that things are good on the other side. Um, I, I do have um, at least one friend that could quit. That would definitely be good for him, but there would have been no convincing me if I was actively drinking and I was getting by and my life maybe was unmanageable, but it was manageable enough. And I was hung over more times than I wasn't, but uh, every time I drank, I remembered that that feeling that I got was worth all of the shit that I had to go through despite my hangovers and all those things. I mean, I remember feeling that way. And if that person has any of those feelings that I felt like that, I don't know if there is any thing that I can say to convince them that it is um, a better place to be in, except if you, if you can, and if you, if you cannot drink a couple of days and you wake up not hung over, that is pretty huge uh, thing to, to experience. Um, the tough part is getting past four or five o'clock at night and not picking up another drink. But there's, there's not that, there's not much that would have convinced me to, um, to come over to the sober side. So I really, I wish I had more inspirational things to, to, to say to someone like that. But um, I, the only thing that I can say is uh, the only thing I can say is I know that I'm not going to be hungover in the morning and that's a great feeling. It's an amazing feeling. And I think you have lots of inspirational things to say. Certainly, certainly on my end anyway, I find you to have quite a few inspirational things to say. Um, the podcast you're doing, tell me about the podcast because I would love for our listeners to know where they can find you and tell me about uh, both of the pod. We started with the podcast. Tell me about both of your podcasts and what you're doing with those. Uh, well, let's see. Um, I have, I think I wrote them down here. Yeah. I can never say it properly. The Alcoholics Anonymous deprogramming podcast that never comes out right, but it's the Alcoholics Anonymous deprogramming podcast. Uh, the YouTube channel, we do that with my friend Bobby C, who you can find on My Truth About AA, Freedom From Addiction Facebook group. We talk about AA and its inconsistencies, and I talk about my love-hate relationship with it, and my buddy Bobby C, who's on the podcast, he gets into some real deep uh, stuff about it, and I'm learning from, from him, and he's learning from me, and we do that every Saturday. And then I have my Brutally Sober podcast that I do. I try and do a podcast. I can do a regular episode once a week or once a month. It's kind of whatever I feel like doing. Lately, for the past four weeks, I've been putting something out there almost every day. I'm trying to up my game so you can find Brutally Sober podcast on Anchor FM or Spotify or any other type of uh, podcast type of places. And I'm also on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And 
that's about that's about it. That's that's those are my my little hot spots. So tell me your handle on. I have followed you, but just so everybody that wants to follow you on Instagram, what is your handle there? That is uh, Brutsob. Uh, B r u t s o b right. Yeah. B r u t s o b at. Yep. I don't even know. I don't even. If you could just, I think you just search. Yeah, let's. Yeah, brutally sober. Well, if anybody is following me at underscore get the fuck off, I follow the brutally sober podcast, so you guys can find Joe that way by way of me. And um, yeah, do do that because I, I'm I, I'm still figuring this crap out. You're doing great, Joe. It was really awesome having you on the podcast. Yes, it was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. And that about does it for this week's episode of the Get the Fuck Off podcast, guys. Big thank you to Joe Conley for coming on the show. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. If any of you want to be a guest on the Get the Fuck Off podcast, you can reach out to me, Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com, or you can visit me on my website, getthefuckoff.com. I'm going to be back next Monday with another episode of the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I have another great guest lined up. Until then, you guys, take care, be safe, and we will see you back again. Oh,